This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. It's Charlie Dobbin reporting to you from my home studio in Prince Edward County. Um, I I know a lot of you are going to think, you know, think this sounds odd, but I still need rain. Now, I know most of Ontario, lots of Quebec is absolutely inundated with soggy soil and saturated land and um, flooding and all kinds of craziness. I mean, watching some of the the videos, um, you know, cars floating down highways, not here. It's pretty dry where I live. We are, um, we are, uh, parts of the county are getting some water. It's not just, it's just where I live. I've got some kind of invisible bubble, I think, happening over my my property. Uh, so we're, we're a little dry and we are hoping and praying there's going to be some rain tonight. But enough about rain. I'd like to hear about your gardens and what's going on with, uh, in your gardens. And, um, you know, tips, techniques, suggestions, uh, problems, anything you got going on, give me a call. Dean is not joining us today. He's on holiday with his family, so I hope they're having some fun in New Hampshire. But to call and chat with me, local the local number is 416-360-0740, or outside of the GTA, it's 866 740 4740, yes. <laughs> the, uh, I haven't done those numbers in a long time. Uh, a couple of reminders of things that are going on. Uh, remember that the Lily Show is on at the Royal Botanical Gardens today and tomorrow. Today from 1.30 to 5, tomorrow from 10 to 3. Beautiful to get out to the to the RBG. Uh, your admission price into the gardens also admits you into the Lily Show. And that will be, I think, a very beautiful, fragrant show and something certainly worth uh, um, participating in. Remember as well, Peter Keeping, he is the clematis grower extraordinaire, is having an open house or maybe more correctly open garden today and tomorrow in Bowmanville. He's uh, he's welcoming visitors into the garden between 10 and 4, and he lives at 2152 Maple Grove Road in Bowmanville, <clears throat> 10 to 4, <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, <clears throat> today and tomorrow. So if you are in the market for clematis, there's the place to go. You'll see some very unusual ones, not just the the same ones you see all the time in the garden centers. And of course, it's interesting, you know, there's so few independent garden centers left anymore. We almost, I think for many of us, rely on the Loblaws garden center, the, you know, the grocery stores, the, the Home Depots, whatever. Everybody sets up a garden center, but they sure don't last very long. They shut down pretty quick, usually by June 30th. So you're you're not shopping or, or wandering uh, those garden centers. So here's an opportunity to see some unusual clematis. 
One more thing is the Oro Medonte Horticultural Source, Horticultural Society is hosting a garden tour tomorrow, twelve thirty to four thirty. So again, nice opportunity to get into other people's gardens and steal some ideas or borrow some ideas. So the Oro Medonte Horticultural Society garden tour tomorrow, twelve thirty to four thirty. Tickets are fifteen dollars. For more information, go to triple W. Now this is one big long word, Oro Medonte Horticultural Society ca for more information all right um lots more coming up we've got callers calling in so keep those questions coming and we'll be right back after these important messages daffodils and daisies bluebells and begonias forsythia and foxgloves marigolds magnolia lavender and lupins dahlias delphiniums stalks fox hollyhocks tulips and sweet williams you've picked the right place for everything floral This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, we're back, and uh, this is The Garden Show. Just a couple things to mention. Remember, call early, call often, but one question per caller. You can always call again, and if you call early, uh, you're more likely to get on the show rather than sitting on hold for 20 minutes and then never getting on the show because that tends to happen. Let Carlos know if you're a first-time caller because I love we love to welcome first-time callers and give them special garden wings uh, just because we can. Uh, we are working with a new system, so if for any reason things seem confusing when you call, um, give a, give Carlos a break because there's a new uh, system there in front of on his computer and uh, it's kind of throwing me for a bit of a loop, but I am right now ready to speak with Michael, who is calling in from Etobicoke. Good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, Charlie. So good to speak with you. Uh, and I hope you get some of the rain that we've been having excess of here in the Etobicoke area of Toronto. So <laughs> yeah, at any rate. No kidding. I hear that. Yes. Oh, we've had f- phenomenal rain. And in the midst of it, I've been having um, a waterproofing and uh, basement uh, rip apart for uh, water protection and drainage. And then it's in the course of doing that, that I've had to try to save some plant materials from around the perimeter of my house. I've had limited success. The rhodos seems to be rhododendrons, of which I have many. They seem to be doing relatively well. But I had a red bud, and the question is, um, it was, mm, it had actually grown from seed in my garden, so it was quite, quite good, and it's about six feet high. It was taken out with a root ball and stored for about two weeks, like being watered as best it could, but all the leaves, uh, basically all, if not most of them, if not all of them, desiccated and fell off. Is it possible to have it come back or is it a useless exercise to replant it? Okay, so so far it hasn't been replanted. Um, when dug in a root ball, was the root ball wrapped in burlap or put in a pot or anything like that? It was put in a pot and watered, but nonetheless, because of the heat that came very suddenly, and it was in a, in a relatively sheltered area. It wasn't like out in the sun, so I was surprised the leaves desiccated. It was like under uh, uh, understory. It was a, became an understory plant in a, a different part of the garden. So uh, the uh, branchlets are supple, but Ooh. it has hardly any leaves at all. I mean, it's hardly, it's not worth mentioning. Okay. You know what? Redbud is a very tough plant. And as you know, it grew from seed. It's a native plant. It's a, it's a hardy survivor. I would be inclined to plant it 
Get it okay. in the ground. Remember, um, you don't want to put it any deeper than it was when it came out of the ground. So that's going to be you know a bit of a challenge mm-hmm. to exactly same level in the ground, same kind of light conditions. I would assume probably going back close yeah, to where I'm it was. To put it back more or less where it came from, give or take a foot yeah. or two. It, you know, it could, it, and then be prepared to do some trimming back. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised. It, it happens when plants are stressed in hot weather, particularly, they will drop their leaves. But if there's vigor in the tree, which there likely is, uh, they will regrow leaves. You just need to get it back into some optimal conditions. Mm-hmm. And be careful, you know, sometimes overwatering like, and underwatering dormant looks until the same. next year. Um, so say that again. Uh, would it be dormant for the balance of this year, or could it re-sprout leaves again this season? I would expect it to re-sprout this season. If it doesn't, then I would consider it dead. Okay, so, so it's, it must. And that's, of, obviously, it would be less robust. They would be smaller or whatever. I hope yeah. this is a question that uh, the, your answer is helping other people because, you know, you temporarily move things or whatever, and they have a shock or the weather. So uh, I, I appreciate your advice on that. So you're thinking, if I have no re-sprouting of leaves this growing year, then yeah. probably it's gone. It's gone. But also remember, when it gets back into the ground, if you don't start to see some little swelling of new green buds, do some tip pruning, because tip pruning will often force plants to grow and wake them up, if you will, because it has gone into a bit of a shock and it's gone into a bit of a dormancy because of it. Okay, so okay, I, I can do that easily because it's beautiful, and I've had I've been able to grow many red buds from just natural seeds on my property. It's really wow, good that's right great. here in the Good so for you. Phenomenal. Well, thanks yeah. for calling, and good luck with that. Well, good luck with your waterproofing. I hope it's, it doesn't. There's no leakage with all this rain while you're getting the place waterproofed. Okay, so that's uh, that's an interesting call. Thanks, Michael. I know I've heard. I've talked to my brother. He lives in East York. He said it's so his ground is so saturated, it's almost soggy. And I'm like, oh, my ground is my lawn is crispy. Uh, quick uh, reminder: the phone numbers, and then what we will do maybe is go to our early uh, to our next break and then come back and speak with Judy. But here's the the numbers to give me a call locally, 416-360-0740 or outside the GTA, 866-740-4740. All right, we'll be right back after these important messages. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, we are back. I was just looking at some of the emails people have sent me to see if any of them might be relevant to read on the show if uh, people aren't calling in with a lot of calls. Uh, Remember, you can email me here at the station or there at the station, as the case may be. My first initial C dot last name Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, so c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. Often people will send photographs. When you're asking specific questions about a specific plant or an issue you're having with a plant, uh, a photo can often be a a great thing to attach to your emails, Um, sometimes easier than, than trying to explain on the radio. And remember as well, if you miss anything on the show or you're on holiday and you aren't able to to catch the show live, 
you can always re-listen through our podcast. Just go to am740.ca, uh, go to podcasts, go to The Garden Show, and uh, and they're all there. There's a long, long archive, years and years of, of garden shows, or you can even listen on your favorite uh, app. So through Spotify, through, um, you know, whatever itunes the garden show is out there for your listening pleasure in the meantime let's see what's going on in oakville judy's calling in good morning judy um okay so i see okay so um carlos it was um he went to dawn but there's judy good morning judy hi good morning charlie nice to hear that you're living in your own little bubble that's great Uh, The biggest problem we have right now in Oakville is Mm -hmm. Japanese beetles. And I know we put down nematodes in the fall. And I just Mm -hmm. wondered if you have any updated information on what we can do now to protect our plants. Okay, that's a great, very great question. What What are the Japanese beetles eating at your place? Roses, dahlias. Oh, yeah. So hmm. uh, to okay. give you a little background, I also have a little plot at a community garden where I grow mm. 35 dahlias, and I surrounded the plot with garlic last year. Mm. Those dahlias haven't been touched. Two mm. of the plants that are very close to the garlic are not doing well at all. So oh. my neighbor here, we live in a little townhouse complex in a crescent shape, so, you know, we can all see each other's gardens, and what's affecting one garden will affect the next. My neighbor yeah. has a dreadful problem with Japanese beetles. She has some pretty little oriental plant. I don't know what it is, but they're just covered. She bought one of yeah. the traps, not doing any good. So my, mm. I'm wondering if I pull up some of my garlic from the community garden and transplant it directly into her garden now, do you think that mm. would be of any assistance? Hmm. Well, pulling up garlic now probably won't work that well. I mean, we're almost at the point of ready to harvest our garden, yeah. our garlic. So I think if you pulled it up, you'd find it would just kind of keel over and, and kind of lie on the ground anyway. Okay. Uh, you can make a garlic spray. Sometimes, and I've seen it, it was it was like a test product years ago. It's And I'm sure there's recipes on the web. And it's really just, you know, some fresh garlic in the blender with water and, uh, you know, all mushed up so that you've got a real strong garlic spray. And that might be worth trying to spray on her very edible plants. Right. But of course, don't. Don't spray anything at high noon. Make sure your spraying is happening uh, early in the day, sunrise, sunset, with no wind, and when the temperatures aren't as intensely hot. That could could provide some, because you're right, I think garlic does protect plants from nasty little creatures like Japanese beetles. I've planted um, garlic chives around my roses, mm-hmm. and I also have garlic not far from my roses. Mm-hmm. I had good success with... Um, uh, keeping the aphid population down last year. This year, um, I do. I was out looking yesterday. I found two Japanese beetles on my roses. Right. That was yesterday. I don't know what's there today. And really, at this time of year, the best thing you can do is pick and squish. Pick and squish, um, yeah. And yeah, you were right about the um, beneficial nematode applications, and those will be going on onto the soil in early to mid-August. Mm-hmm. 
But remember, the nematode uh, application must be accompanied by regular irrigation, so regular watering, in order for those nematodes to get through the soil, because they travel in the water, in the soil, to find the grubs. Uh, So that's super important in mid-August. The traps, I am not a huge fan of, unless you have a Um, a schoolyard, a parking lot, something um, where you can place the trap where it's not on your property. Because they work. They definitely work. But they attract every beetle in the neighborhood, right? Exactly. So instead of having, you know, 10 or 100 that you would normally have, you'll have 10,000 because they'll come from kilometers away, very attracted to your trap. So the traps are are effective, but not effective on your own property. More effective if you have, like I say, someplace you can put it so it's far away, but you're not, you know, like a schoolyard is almost perfect because the kids aren't in school right now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. We don't have that. Okay, so I'm going to try the garlic spray for her. I've got a Vitamix, so that's no problem. Now, do I put any Blue Dawn or any oil or anything, or just garlic and water? Something you it would it probably would be better with something that will help it stick. So that's where a bit of soap would come in, yes. not detergent, but soap. Oil I'd be hesitant to use in the heat because remember oil works by suffocating insects, but yes. it also cause can suffocate plants. Um, okay. it's, but like I said, I, you know I'm not looking right now, but I bet you if you sort of Google garlic spray as an insecticide. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and it would be, it, you know, it's just something to drive them away. It's not going to kill them. It's right. just the idea is you want them to, to not want to eat those plants. Yeah, just go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah I have yeah. one rose. It's an old rose, and it's not terribly pretty, but it has lots of little blooms on it. So I bought some gauze bags, and as mm-hmm. soon as the bud appears, I cover it with this gauze bag. I mean, it looks like mm-hmm. the Ku Klux Klan in my backyard, but <laughs> at least I can pick those buds before the beetles have eaten them. Right. So that's one solution, yeah, yeah. but it's not very pretty. So, no, it probably looks very silly. But but remember, insect populations usually have highs and lows. Mm-hmm. So right now we are at peak Japanese beetle um population so whatever you've got going on now is the worst and there will be fewer soon because those beetles are you know basically having orgies and and in your plants while they're eating your plants they're also having wild sex parties (laughs) and they will be laying eggs and um and dying very shortly so it'll all happen very quickly so whatever's happening now will change soon keep that in mind too Okay, that's good. So when they have these little sex parties and then all of those eggs drop to the ground to form the Mm -hmm. larva later on, what if we were to surround the base of the plant with cardboard or newspaper or something? Um, Well, they will just go somewhere else. They just need open soil. And most of the time when we do find grub eggs newly hatched, they have ha- they have been deposited into soil that's directly below something tall, taller than a rose, uh, like a tree. They'll drop down from the drip line of a tree, the branches of a tree. They'll also drop down from that your um, the house from the eaves trough. <clears throat> oh so where that's where we always look and where we usually find the the. The nests, if you will, the eggs that have been that have been laid, and then when they hatch, of course, grubs love or sort of beetles love to lay their eggs in turf because when the eggs hatch, there's roots readily available 
for those little tiny, tiny, newly born larvae to start eating. And so when you do see grub damage, it starts, it looks like a, like a silver dollar or a loony or a toony, just a little round uh, yellow circle in the lawn that starts expanding over time. So the little circle gets bigger and bigger, bigger, because as the grubs get bigger and bigger, they move out from where they were hatched. And before you know it, you've got a huge yellow patch and a lot of fat, juicy grubs under the lawn. Yeah. So that's mid. That's why it's so important in mid-August to have the beneficial nematodes ready to go uh, and applied right after a rain or just uh, before an irrigation. So you apply the nematodes just to the area of the plant that's affected, or would you say all over the garden so you get under the roof and under the tall trees? It, you know what? It's, it's Take the, the nematodes as far as they will go. Okay. In one package, they will, um, it's been a year since I used nematodes, but the, um, you know, the, I mix them up in a watering can and follow the directions as to how far I could water with this water that had little tiny nematode eggs in it. And, uh, and I really tried to apply the water and the nematodes in an area where I anticipated grubs were going, had been, had been laid, like eggs had been laid. Right. Got it. Good. Okay. Charlie, always a pleasure to speak to you. You're just a world of knowledge. So thank you very much for your help. (laughs) Thank you, Judy. Have a happy Saturday. Thanks for calling. All right. Thanks for calling. Oh, so, Carlos, I don't see anybody on the line right now. Let me just give, oh, wait a minute. Oh, right, there they are. Yes, we are learning, aren't we? You know what it said? Oh, yes, Dawn is there. Dawn's calling in from Toronto. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Good. I have a question for you. Uh, We Mm -hmm. have geraniums in planters on our front Mm -hmm. steps which Mm -hmm. get the morning sun. However, Mm -hmm. we no longer have any buds coming. We had prodigious flowering, lots of buds, Mm -hmm. but now we don't have any more. We just have a lot of green leaves. Is our problem that we're not fertilizing enough? We do it once a month. Okay. Excuse me, how big are the planters? Um, Fairly large. Like, you know, like a foot tall, two feet tall, three feet tall? Yes. Yes, I'd say yeah, two so feet. Lots, lots of soil. Lots um, of soil. Okay, uh, okay, and the soil that's in the planters, where did it come from? Uh, from the plant. It came right. in a basket, so we just plant the basket without the plastic, obviously, into right. our planters and add right, some right. extra soil. Okay, and the extra soil was uh, like a potting mix? Yes. Good. Not not soil from the garden. No, no. Okay. So east is not your sunniest spot, and geraniums, of course, like a hot sunny location. So there could be. Are they undercover? Like, are they getting any direct sunlight? Are they just getting like a couple hours in the morning? Or yeah, they get from probably six till about twelve. Whenever the okay. sun comes up till twelve noon. Okay. So that's you know that's <clears throat> should be enough. Fertilizer will always encourage more blooming. Uh, strange to have no flowers. Uh, watering, how often are you watering? Uh, just, I feel the soil, and when it's dry, then I, I water it again. But lately, I haven't needed to too much because of the rain. 
Because of the rain, yeah, exactly. And remember, when we are watering, make it worth the plant's while. So if you're going to water, make it a thorough watering. And let the plants become fairly dry in between watering, other than obviously you can't stop the rain from watering for you. Um, uh, You know what? I mean, you could give them a shot of fertilizer. When did you last fertilize? We do it once a month. Right. So are you due to fertilize again or have you just done it? It would be soon, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with annuals like geraniums, uh, it never hurts to fertilize even every three weeks if you wanted to. Sometimes the package will say every two weeks or 10 days. So depending on how, you know, much you want to to do that fertilizing. I do find it surprising that they stopped blooming entirely, though. Um, when you deadhead your geraniums, do you uh, you've got the the ball of the flower, and then there's the stem that the ball of the flower is attached to. Do you follow down the little stem and then break that stem off away from the the mother plant, or yes. do you just take off the ball flowers? No, I do right down to the base. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, so that, that, I was just going to say, again, deadheading will always encourage more flowering, and deadheading geraniums is a bit of a trick, so if you're doing that correctly, yeah, I, um, yeah, pray for sun, don't water, obviously, if they're wet, do fertilize, and, um, yeah, it's, that's a bit of an odd one, I don't know why they would stop flowering, unless they're just so, some of these plants are so happy, (laughs) they don't even, they won't feel like they need to flower, (laughs) they've just got lots of leaves, make sure you're fertilizing with a flowering plant fertilizer too something that's high phosphorus okay okay Uh, thank you very much yeah you're welcome thanks for calling no flowers on geraniums that's unusual anybody else have that uh, experience um all right so carlos i'm doing this again i can't see if okay i think there's a caller yes there's sharon sharon's on the line good morning sharon how are you I'm fine, thank you. Hang on one second. Alexa, turn off the radio. Sorry, I had the radio on in the background. Um, Thank you. Thanks for calling. Yep, I have a problem with my... I have hanging baskets on my front veranda, so I had Mm -hmm. four of them. The squirrels get into those hanging baskets, dig them out, and of course then they all fall on the ground and they die. Any idea of how to keep the squirrels out of hanging baskets? Uh, you know, there's that shotgun comes to mind. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> but, come to my mind, too. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so these are like 10-inch hanging baskets that you that have flowers in them, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I buy the hanging <laughs> baskets, hang them off on the hooks, and they go around my <laughs> veranda. <laughs> and this has the been best... last year and this year. Yeah, I mean, what, because they're digging in, one of the ways we try and... Uh, discourage them digging into our baskets is by putting sharp things into the soil. So that could be the old dollar store forks uh, where you break the handles off and then you stick the sharp little tines uh, sticking up, but just down as far as you can under the soil so you don't have to see the forks. But as soon as the squirrels go to do anything in the soil, they just run into all these little plastic sharp things. Uh, that can be a good discouragement. I've also seen there's mats that they sell, and I'm not sure if they would have them now, but places like garden centers, Dollarama have these. Again, it's like a plastic mesh net mat. They only they measure maybe a foot by a foot and a half, 
and you can lay them on the surface of the garden to keep wandering cats from using your garden soil as a litter box. Mm-hmm. So again, cut to fit in around your, your into your hanging baskets. You'd have to do that to fit the, the mesh bits in there. That can be effective. Many animals are afraid of tin foil, so sometimes just putting in um, some some sort of balls of tin foil that again you won't see from below, but would be up right. inside the baskets might discourage them. I know I've used <clears throat> sharp, <clears throat> excuse me, rose canes pieces of when I'm pruning my roses, I save mm-hmm. save those and then lay those on the surface of the soil. To try and discourage the squirrels, so you know that's your best bet. You're you're not going to. Um, I don't think you're going to find. I mean, I guess you could try one of the deterrents. That's a spray. I've tried uh, Critter deter- Ritter, and it doesn't work. They still had their way with it. Right. Yeah, and the one that I would try is the one that I've used here, which is called Plant Skid. Okay. <clears throat> S. So plant. P L A N T. Skid, which is SK. I'm just going to double check. Skid. Yeah. P L A N T S K Y D D. So two D's. So if you um, Google Plant Skid Canada, it was, and I'm sure still is, available at the Home Depots, the Canadian Tires, that sort of situation. And it is uh, a deterrent to all mammals, whether it's deer. Elk, squirrels, groundhogs, chipmunks, all of those little critters do not like the smell of plant skid. It's completely organic. So that might be worth a try as well. Is it a spray? Yeah. Yeah. It comes pre-mixed or you can buy it concentrated and do the mix yourself. Okay. So but my second question, it really doesn't have to do with my plants, but I have a wood frame around my window above my front door. And they're chewing mm. the wood. So if I put that up there, do you think uh, that would keep them off that wood? Yes, it might. And I would definitely, yeah, you want to stop that. Are they red squirrels? Well, yeah, before the f- window falls in. Phew, yeah. What what color squirrels are they? I, we've never caught them doing it. Mm. I, we have a lot of little black squirrels out there, so I'm assuming it's them, but I've never actually seen them do it. Huh. Yeah, I don't think of black squirrels as being wood chewers, but red squirrels for sure. I've never seen a red sure. squirrel here. No, it's been all black or a little gray ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, good luck with that. Yes, I do. I would do everything you can to protect that wooden frame. Okay. I will try this plant skid and see what it ha- what happens. Yeah, see what Thank happens. Let me know. Thank your help. Thank you. Thanks, thanks okay. so much for calling. Um, funny story. Elliot's really getting gotten into bird feeding and... Um, He's just all over it, and he loves his new binoculars. By the way, he just he's still wearing them, still almost wearing them to bed. <laughs> we have an Oriole feeder, and the Orioles are very sweet. They have nested in the neighborhood and in the area, so they're bringing their babies around. So we're seeing baby Orioles along with mom and dad. But the other day, this a gray squirrel—I've never seen a gray squirrel here—but suddenly this gray squirrel arrived, and it was reclining on top of the Oriole feeder, like literally lying on its back with its elbow, you know, behind its head, uh, just you know, sucking on an orange and dipping its fingers into the the jam that's in the uh, the little um, grooves of the feeder. It was very funny. I mean, the, this gray squirrel was so comfortable, and the Orioles kept trying to come and feed, and the 
the squirrel kept ch- like chasing them away. So, so Elliot was like, Oh, I got to deal with this. So scared away the squirrel, got out the Vaseline covered. Cause it's the pole that the Oriole feeder was hanging from doesn't have a baffle on it. Um, and we never thought we needed one. So he got out the Vaseline and he just smeared the Vaseline all over that, that pole. And there you go. No more squirrels and happy Orioles. So pretty, pretty funny what you got to do to, to deter squirrels. <laughs> rodents with you know f- fl- fluffy tails so that's good all right we do need to take one more important break but we'll be right back after this fur and feathers and bugs of all size there's more going on in the garden than you realize should small creatures become a big problem then you've got the garden show with charlie dobbin exclusively on zoomer radio all right, we are talking gardening, and I see we have some callers. Shelly is giving us a call from Thornhill. Good morning, Shelly. Good morning, Charlie. How are you doing? Excellent. How are you? Okay, good. Um, my question is, my son recently was able to move into a townhouse, and he has this big staircase in front, and we were thinking of planting a tree in front sort of to hide the staircase a bit. And I was just wondering what kind of tree would you recommend that wouldn't grow too wide because he's got the two driveways right beside each other from the neighbor Mm. and himself and something maybe lower maintenance. Mm. How uh, wide is the the, uh, yard between the driveways? My guess is five feet. Maybe oh. five feet, six feet, maybe maximum. They probably go with um a, an ornamental standard. Like maybe what would be nice would be like a standard lilac. Uh, there's a number of them. So a standard just means it's a single stem, like a tree, but the standards are typically grafted. So it would be a plant that we're used to seeing as a shrub, but instead of being a shrub at ground level, it's a shrub up at eye level on a, oh. on a straight stem. How, how tall start, does, pardon? Sorry? How tall does it grow? Uh, it would depend what kind you get. <clears throat> they will. They never get that huge. They might get uh, maybe seven feet. So this lilac is different than the bush you usually see. That the wide. It's not a bush. It's a tree. Well. It's it's a, it's what we call a standard. So it's a small tree. Uh, PG hydrangeas come in a standard. So again, that's a shrub. But instead of being a shrub at ground level, it's up on a stem. So what I would do, you're calling from Thornhill, is go to I'm trying to think who's around you. There's not many garden centers anymore in uh, in the neighborhood. But you know, um, Blue Willow Nursery, somebody up the road there towards King or up towards Stouffville. There's a number of nurseries. You will find they'll have a section in the garden center, or you know, ask the staff. You're looking for a a, tree, a small tree, but you're looking for a standard, just because it'd be nice to get something that flowers. And of course, uh-huh. a lilac, you get not only the beautiful flowers, but you get the beautiful fragrance. Uh, mm-hmm. There are other plants that grow as standards that don't flower, like or don't flower in a in mm-hmm. a fan, you know. A, a, a fragrant way. Carragana comes to mind. Um, your pea shrub, you know, weeping pea shrub. There's a number of small uh, trees that can be quite ornamental. And yeah, just take away from the the industrial look of the stairs. Uh, right. It, it, 
Yeah, that's what I would do. And make a small garden at the base. Don't have it just grow right up out of the lawn. Make a small garden at the base so you've got a little bit of ground cover or whatever around the bottom so there's no chance of the bark being uh, whippersnipped when the lawn is being mowed. Right, right. So how, how tall would you recommend? Like I thought something taller would be better. Like and I yeah, don't know. The, the taller you get, the wider it's going to get, unless you choose oh. a columnar tree. But even so, a columnar tree gets big. I mean, think of a, um, a columnar oak as an example. In right. even in twenty, thirty years, a columnar oak is like thirty feet tall and ten feet wide, even though it's columnar shaped. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah. So is that's that like the a, challenge. Or something. Is that like Unless a pure middle oak? Is that a pure middle oak you're you're talking yes, about? Or? Yes, pure middle mm-hmm. oak, yeah. Oh, yeah, but they get big. Unless you want to keep pruning it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my son has time. <laughs> yeah. has to pay for Sometimes house. people will use a cedar. Um, there, there's a kind of cedar called a de Groot cedar that stays quite small, or narrow, I should say. Uh, so, yeah. you know, consider even a something like a, a plant that's an evergreen that stays narrow, not mm-hmm. just any old cedar. Many people love the um, emerald cedars, uh, but a degroots stays even narrower than a, than an emerald. So for a narrow spot, that could be a, a good plant as well. All right. Okay. Thank, thank you very much. You. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. We do have to go to one more break, as Carlos likes to remind me. So let's do that, get the final uh, commercial break out of the way, so to speak. And we'll be right back to speak with Sandra, who's calling from Etobicoke. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed. Uh, so I just been reading a quick email I received from Barbara, and she has tried to phone the 866-740-4740 number and said it sounds like a fax machine. So um, just letting you know that, Carlos, I'm not sure what exactly is going on there. We appear to have some new updated software happening so it could be that the phones aren't connecting quite the way they're supposed to but we do have a local number 416-360-0740 and uh yeah maybe um carlos will be able to direct me on what's going on but in the meantime let's say hello to sandra who's calling in from etobicoke good morning good morning charlie hello how are you I'm here. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, I had a little trouble getting through this morning as well. Um, I have a little suggestion for the lady that had the squirrels in the planters or uh, hanging Mm. baskets. I've used this before. It's just hair from your hairbrush. I use it on my tulips, and it stops the squirrels biting off the flower heads. If she was just to push the hair into the hanging baskets, it might help to deter the squirrels. So you just think it's the smell of the hair? I think so. I think it's it's the human part yeah. that they don't like. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, even drop by a salon, maybe you could get some hair off the floor and, and really put up some clumps of hair into those hanging baskets. If right. uh, Sharon is still listening, which I, I imagine she is, good idea, good suggestion. And you don't, you don't really need a lot. I just 
I saved mine in a little plastic bag through the winter and I put it you know, around the tulips, tuck it yeah, into the leaves right. in the spring. Well, good idea. All right, good. I like that. I like that suggestion. I've certainly heard that for deer repelling, um, hair is supposed to be something that keeps deer from wandering too close to the property or chewing on some of your favorite plants. Okay. No, I hadn't heard that. I do have a question, actually. Yes. Um, I have a sage bush. It, it's old. It's about two feet high, about a foot wide. It's usually lovely. It looks like it has a bit of powdery mildew on it. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the rain? Uh, and it's from the heat. Yes. <clears throat> so when it's hot days and moist nights, it's perfect conditions for powdery mildew. So do not be surprised at seeing powdery mildew on lots of plants right now. Uh, it, it, just because our, our heat levels have been quite extreme. So whether it's amelanchier, uh, serviceberry, lilacs, ninebark, roses, lots and lots of plants will be showing powdery mildew right now because of the environmental conditions. It's I a hard one. You can only it prevent it. You can't treat it. Should I, sorry, should I try and cut those leaves off? I mean, if you find them unsightly, you could. Uh, I certainly would make a point of removing, don't leave them on the property as winter comes. Uh, So whenever we have diseased foliage, it's important to remove that from the soil surface so that the the soil will not be um, infested with the spores for the future. So yes, you can remove the leaves now or when they start to drop in the fall, just make a point of sticking them into the, the brown paper bags and then off to the recycling. It also has something else going on. Some of the leaves look like they're being eaten in the center. Not a lot of them. I did find a little tiny yellowy bug. Is it possible there's something eating the leaves? Because normally well, nothing touches the age. Yeah, I was going to say it's not it's not known for its tastiness. Uh, I wouldn't be overly concerned. It, well, particularly if it's uh, holes in the middle of the leaves. That's always a bit weird. Bugs usually chew from the margins, the outside margins of leaves, towards the center. No, when we see holes... Sorry, go ahead. And, and it's not through. It's, it's almost lacing it. You can see the vein of oh. the leaf is left. Okay. It's well, just little, little yeah. holes. Well, they yeah. don't go right through. It looks like they've just sort of chewed part of the leaf. Yeah, well, that's certainly possible. And there are, there's insects that are skeletonizers. They leave behind the veins. And there are insects that will eat the tissue in the in a leaf between the top layer and the bottom layer so that you've got like a net left behind of um, just all the, the uh, tissues gone. But, but with something like sage, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Unless you really start to see the plant disappearing quickly, then I would... Uh, look closely but any uh, you know i wouldn't it's just one of those a few leaves aren't you know aren't going to be a big problem there's just not going to be an an infestation okay thank you charlie you're welcome all right so something eating sage that's different um could even be a japanese beetle for all we know um all right so i don't seem to have any callers on the line um so I, I did give the numbers, but I think people are having trouble uh, getting in to the system. So let's just look here. I have, um, I have I have a website, charliedobbin.com, and you can always contact me through there as well as um, through the, the MZ Media 
com email. But um, here's an email that I got from Joan Rogers, and she was asking about one of my favorite plants, too. It's called whirling butterflies. So it's Gora is the genus of so G-A-U-R-A. Gora is a tender perennial. It's a really pretty plant. It comes with white or pink flowers. But what's cool about it is that, you know, it's just a perennial that comes up with leaves. But when it sends its flowers up, they're very long flower stems, like very long. And then on the tips are these little flowers. So that's why they call it whirling butterflies, because the um, flowers move in the wind and they look like they are whirling butterflies uh, and because they're set well above the, the foliage. So she was just wondering what to do to overwinter this plant. She's tried to keep it in her garage and it didn't survive. And she just wondered, you know, how could she potentially keep it alive? It is a hard one. I, I over the years, I don't remember if I ever kept it alive effectively over the winter, but we, I did suggest her that in a fairly good sized pot, she may have some success uh, burying the pot in the fall and then piling mulch on top of that once we have a couple of good hard frosts. Uh, so mulch in the form of leaves or straw or even soil, just like we would hill roses, treat the gora like it's a rose and uh, and see, it might survive. You never know. Um, watching the time here. Um, what else? couple of things I've been doing. Watch your garlic. Remember, it's we're getting to garlic uh, harvest time. You'll know it's time to dig your garlic bulbs when about two-thirds of the foliage is completely yellow. Right now, mine is probably meh, a quarter yellow, so I'm not digging them yet. But then again, it's been very dry. For those of you that are in the saturated soil situation, you're probably going to be digging your garlic sooner than later. So keep an eye on that. Um, keep an eye on your tomatoes as well. Um, this is the time you don't want them flopping on the ground. Uh, keep them staked up. You will lose your crop to mildew and mold if you've got a lot of um, tomatoes sitting at ground level. So make sure that you are staying on top of staking, <clears throat> tying I sucker, I remove, <clears throat> excuse me, I remove suckers from my indeterminate tomatoes. So I have um, something called sun sugar, which is a really old heritage variety of yellow cherry tomatoes that are extremely sweet, but also extremely susceptible to disease. And they are all tied up into single, single stem production, along with this one called sweetie that my daughter grows for me every year. It's, we love our sweet cherry tomatoes. My other tomatoes are all what we call determinant, so they are not staked, but they're caged, and I do have poles and posts, and you know, I guess they are staked in a sense, because they get so heavy with fruit. So keep an eye on all of that. Remember, you can always sow um, um, <clears throat> fall for fall harvest, you, lettuce seeds now cabbages now. Um, uh, don't forget to shear back on some of your, your brute annuals. <clears throat> so cut back anything that's taking over in your hanging baskets and have a great week. I hope you don't get too much rain. I hope it comes to me for a change. <laughs> and I'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.